Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sailing the East podcast. I'm Balaam Usitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. Some of the episodes will focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we'll talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And we come across an interesting individual, we'll try to get them to be a guest on the show. Now, what makes this podcast a little bit unusual is that only one of us sails. That would be me, Bela. I've been sailing for over 30 years, not across oceans, but on lakes and coastal cruising on the east coast of the United States. And I, Mike, know very little about sailing. Honestly, I don't know the difference between a halyard and a line, so I ask most of the questions and Bela tries to answer. Now, Bela, it's been a few weeks since we've last chatted. What's going on in your part of the world? Well, I will say, Mike, that the weather has really been hot and humid this summer. Uh, too hot for me. Uh, it reminds me of when uh, the kids were younger and my parents lived in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and we'd go down there for a week in the summer to visit them, and it'd be you know 90 degrees outside, and the humidity was about 90% also, and it was just miserable. And it seems like uh, it's been that way a fair amount here in the Northeast and upstate New York this summer. It's been a bit hot. So that's been going on. Uh, And and I think that's on the top of my mind because the last four or five days, (laughs) we've had another one of these heat waves, which I think uh, the weather folks say if you have three consecutive days of 90 degrees or more, they call it a heat wave around here, um, which we've had. Um, The whole COVID Delta thing is sort of, you know, still in the forefront here. It's been what almost uh, almost two years now with dealt with COVID and where life is still back to normal. So that's sort of weird. Um, I had always thought this would not last this long, but it seems to be hanging out. And uh, hey, you must be getting ready to start back into the classroom soon, right? It's that time of year. It's uh, end of August, and uh, colleges start opening back up. What's going on in your place? Well. We're on a little different schedule than the typical U.S. schedule. So we st- our classes start kind of middle of October and go until the end of January. So I just actually just finished um, grading exams and getting my, my grades turned in. Um, and so we have a few weeks left still. We have orientations and things like that start, I think, the third week of September. And it's here the end of August right now that we're recording this. So I have a little bit of a break, but not a ton of a break. But but that's OK. The weather here has been interesting in Europe, Bela. Um, in um, this kind of the southern half of Europe has been like the U.S. very hot and um, people might be following the news. There's been a lot of forest fires because it's very dry in Greece and Spain and things like this. And then kind of in the northern third where I am, um, it's been a real cool and rainy summer. It's been almost the opposite. Uh, so we've been in a kind of a, a typical, if you think about London in the winter, almost um, uh, pattern. So um, it's in the, in Fahrenheit, it's been in the mostly sixties and lower seventies and hasn't gotten too much hotter than, than that here. So, so pretty yeah. interesting. Huh. Um, not, hey Mike, not let me ask you a question as, as bad. Yeah. Uh, with, with the difference in, in, uh, academic schedules, right? You said you guys start sort of middle of October, go to the end of January for your fall semester or term. Uh, how do, how do exchange programs work with U S universities, right? Cause U S universities seem to be starting the last week in August, first week in September, finish before the Christmas holiday. So how, how, if you want to do an exchange program with the university, how, do, how does that stuff work? 
it's a total hassle between the German schools that are on most of the, most of the universities are on the same schedule. There's a few that have shifted, um, but it's a big hassle. So what essentially happens is, is only uh, semester exchanges happen in the spring or summer semester. So if you got done in December, right, like you would do in a U.S. university, um, we don't start until the middle of March. So students would come. OK, um, they might come in January but they wouldn't have classes until March. So maybe they would sightsee. Um, usually we have a few, some early orientation types of programs and things, but the students don't have to show up until the middle of March. Some of them work for a couple months in the U.S., save some money and then show up in March. And then exams aren't done until the middle of July or the end of July in some cases. So the students wouldn't, and then maybe they would travel a little bit for a couple of weeks in August. And then if they're going to go start their semester again at the end of August, they have to go right back. So they kind of, get their vacation in January and February uh, and they lose it in, in August or in yeah. June and July. There is still in school essentially. Um, yeah. So, so it's really, it's really a challenge. And in the fall semester, there, there is no exchange typically between German schools and U S schools. Um, some students are opting to do a full year. Some schools support that. And then they, that's easier to do a whole year. Um, so what we wind up, I see more, um, we have these double degree programs where the students come for one whole year, two whole years, and that's easier than the, the semester exchange, which is, a, which is a, a challenge with U.S. schools. Yeah. Is all of Europe or all European universities on sort of the same academic schedule? No, it shifts. Um, at least, you know, there are some differences, but Germany's really on this, this different schedule. Um, and even within Germany, it varies by a few weeks here and there. But in Spain, at least the partner schools I've worked with, they're more on the U.S. schedule. Um, France, um, I know some that do it both ways, so I'm not totally sure. Austria and Switzerland, I think, are on the more the German calendar, but it kind of depends. Yeah. Stud schools that tend to tilt more internationally, so a lot of them have adopted the more U.S. schedule. So some have yeah. shifted. Yeah. Huh. So you have to check carefully, you know, buyer beware. If you're interested in going on a semester exchange or you have a kid that's interested in this, make sure you take a look at these academic calendars. Yeah, it, it, it can make a difference. That's a good point. All right. Should we get back to cool. uh, the whole paradox and sailing things? Yeah. What's going on with your boat, Bela? Well, you know, in the last two weeks, uh, I've been to the boat twice. Um, typically, we've, I've been going every other week, um, but uh, we we, we had a little uh, incident come up. So I was there for 60 days. I came home. Uh, I was home for two days. And then I kept uh, reading uh, about this uh, hurricane. And I said, hmm, I better go back to the boat and, and get her ready. Um, the first time I was there, the first week we were there, you know, one of our sons and his wife have a new baby. Um, and they live very close to the boat. Uh, so when we visit them, uh, which has been really good this this summer. We use Paradox as sort of our home base, so we don't intrude on them. They still have their space, and and uh, you know the crying baby doesn't wake us up. Uh, and my son's wife's sister was getting married, uh, so they needed a babysitter for both the rehearsal dinner uh, and the wedding. And it was really kind of funny because uh, back when they told us, you know. Uh, 12 months ago now uh, that they were pregnant or maybe it was nine months ago. Uh, and it was, it was pretty cute because they, they said, uh, yeah, we're expecting. So that was really exciting. It's their first child. And they said, Oh, by, by the way, uh, there's a, a 
three days in August, could you babysit for us? <laughs> I said, well, the child's not even born yet. And already we have to reserve a date for babysitting. Um, so that was kind of fun. Um, so we went out there to, to babysit. So that's the first time they left, they left uh, the baby with anybody. And that was a lot of fun for us. Uh, and um, they had an event at their house sort of a reception because they've been rehabbing a house and first time family had some of their family is from out, out West, uh, had come here. So, um, they had a little reception at the house, but they didn't want to have the baby there, uh, because of, you know, COVID still sort of banging around and, uh, they didn't want to expose the baby to that. Cause of course the baby's not vaccinated. Uh, so they actually brought the baby to the boat <laughs> and, uh, while well, they had this reception at the house, and uh, Elaine and I watched the baby on the boat. So, so that was kind of fun. Uh, and then uh, Elaine uh, went home on Sunday afternoon. And I stayed on the boat uh, to fix some leaky windows, uh, which will be another episode we're going to talk about. Uh, and I stayed there till Wednesday to do that. Um, and then Hurricane uh, Henri uh, showed up and was heading for the East Coast. Uh, and right towards uh, Narragansett Bay were the early predictions. And uh, I expected to hit on Sunday. So I got home on Wednesday morning, uh, and then uh, Friday morning I hopped back in the car, and I drove uh, out to the boat again uh, to get her ready for the hurricane. Wow, Bela, that's a little bit more excitement than uh, I'm kind of interested in. But uh, tell me, what's involved with getting the boat ready for a hurricane? Do you leave it in the water? Do you try to get it hauled out? What's the what's the plan at something like this? Well, you know, the, every boat owner sort of has has their own uh, things that they feel about this. You know, I should haul it out. I should not haul it out. Uh, I should leave it at a marina. I should. Uh, go put it on a mooring ball because they're safer or I should anchor out because that's safer. So everyone has their opinion. <clears throat> but what what is telling to me is that my insurance policy and most insurance policies actually will reimburse you to haul the boat out when there's a named storm that's going to hit your area. So if there's a hurricane warning uh, for your area where the boat is, uh, for example, my insurance company will reimburse me up to $2,500 uh, to haul the boat out. So, you know, insurance companies are pretty good at, at looking at a lot of data and crunching the data. So that sort of tells me that the safest place to be <laughs> when there's a hurricane for your boat is to have it on land. Because if they're willing to reimburse you and pay you that much money to get it out of the water, uh, that, that sort of tells you... Um, uh, that's the safest thing. So <laughs> getting it out of the waters, you know, a bit involved. And, um, yeah. That, how, that does, how does that work? I mean, it seems like there's lots of people that would want to get it hauled out in a very short amount of time. Yeah. 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 So it, it, I don't know if you remember, uh, a few weeks ago, we actually, uh, episode 33, we talked about tropical storm Elsa, uh, that was sort of heading up into the, to the region. And I went out and I did some prep for the boat then, uh, or actually I think I was there and, and, I, and we were actually there for that storm. That's right, because that was in episode 33. And there was sort of like very little stuff going on at the marina because it wasn't, a, it wasn't hitting uh, 
by the time it got to where we were, it was a tropical depression, or uh, and so it really didn't uh, get merit the amount of, uh, of of hurricane prep. It wasn't a hurricane, uh, although Henri was a hurricane. So when I got to the marina, man, was it a beehive of activity! Oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, and and so. Uh, you put your name on the list at the marina. You call the marina up and say, hey, I want to get my boat hauled, right? Because it takes takes about an hour per boat to haul it. Because if you remember, there's this big mechanism, big machine called a travel lift uh, that you drive the boat over into this area. They can put these big straps under the boat. They can lift the boat up. Uh, this travel lift has wheels on it. They can move it to an area in the parking lot. They put it on some stands, and then they go back and get another boat. Uh, they, this marina actually has two travel lifts and a crane. So they actually have three different ways that they can be lifting boats out of the water. And uh, it was the first time I saw nobody in the office and all of the folks who you know are usually sitting behind desks in the office were out in the yard uh, helping haul boats. Uh, and they hauled about uh, 25 boats a day is, is what they're sort of, capacity was there's probably 300 350 boats in the marina so that tells you not everybody gets hauled so i I, i'm trying to figure out sort of what the prioritization is on hauling boats i think part of it is um if you get your name on the list or not right if you tell them you want to get hauled then number two i think it's sort of the size of the boat the type of the boat uh, and where the boat's located in the marina. Because I think, to some extent, some parts of the marina are more exposed than other parts of the marina. So they want to haul the boats that are more exposed and the boats that are bigger because the bigger boats have more windage, meaning they have more surface area for the wind to blow against. And if the wind blows hard enough, either the boat will break loose which means it's going to blow into other boats and other parts of the marina and cause damage, or the dock will break loose because there's so much force on it from these boats being tied to the dock. So I think it's this complicated uh, process they go through of you know deciding, okay, we're going to haul out the boats that have a, have a lot of windage that are located in the more windy parts of the marina because they actually took some of the bigger boats uh, that they didn't get time to haul out, and they moved them into other areas and slips that were open uh, because there were um, there was less wind. There was less wind there, right? It's a little more protected. So there's not only are they hauling boats out, but there's this shuffling of boats going on. Uh, so it was a pretty busy place for a few days, about as busy as I've seen the the marina. So okay, you're gonna then buckle down and wanna you're gonna stay put. What do you do to the boat when you realize that's not gonna get hauled out? Yeah, yeah, I had myself on the list to get hauled out, but I did not get hauled out. So it was pretty clear that I was pretty far down on the list. Um, and there's a lot of you know kind of big cabin cruisers that are almost three stories tall. So they hauled actually very few sailboats. They hauled a lot of these big cabin cruisers that again have a lot of windage. They, did, they hauled very few sailboats. So it didn't look like I was going to get hauled. So yeah, so there's a lot of work. So uh, here's, here's what I did. Um, and, all, and all of these things I did myself because uh, I, I was there solo. 
Uh, although there's uh, there was three boats, three three of us in a row, all next to each other, and um, we sort of helped each other do a couple things. So it, it it made it it made it fun and easy. There was three three parties there, uh, kind of working on their boats. The first thing you sort of do uh, is you, at least what I did was you try to take off everything on the boat that causes windage. So I removed. I have a dodger in the front of the boat. It's like a big windshield type of thing that's made out of canvas and clear plexiglass. Uh, I remove that, and then I have have some what are called biminis over the cockpit of the boat, uh, which help protect you from the sun. So, you know, remove those. They come off pretty easy. They snap on and on with some zippers. The sails on my boat uh, roll up like a window shade. And so I re- even though they roll up like that, one of the things that can happen is if something gets loose in a high wind, they can unroll themselves, which would be disastrous <laughs> to have a boat tied to a dock with its sail flapping around in you know 40 knot gusts. Uh, so I remove those sails, which is is not too difficult, but you know it's a big sail and it's a it's a handful to kind of get down. Luckily, the days I was working on it were literally the calm be- before the storm. You know there was like no wind at all which made kind of removing the sails, the sails easy. Uh, and then, and then the other thing uh, I did was actually where my boat sits, uh, it's, it's stern to the dock, meaning it, it, I back it into the dock because my boat uh, has a pass through stern. So it's very easy to walk from the dock onto the boat. The prevailing wind is from the south, which and also that's where the majority of the heavy wind was predicted to be from for this storm, and that's also where the marina is most exposed is from the south. So I actually turned the boat around so it faced into the prevailing wind. So now the bow is pointing into the prevailing wind and not the stern. Uh, so you know the boat will ride waves better that way, and there's less again there's less windage because instead of a blunt transom a blunt back end of the boat the stern i have the bow of the boat uh sort of uh into the wind makes Uh, perfect sense so basically anything that might flap around and anything that might catch wind is down is under is is uh below decks right um yeah and and you've got this thing facing the wind so it cuts the least there's the least amount of resistance so you've done everything you can but how do you do you do anything extra to tie it to the to the dock? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of force still. Yeah, yeah, there is. So uh, what what I do is I double up all of my dock lines. So normally, when the boat's there, <clears throat> two two lines at the front of the boat that go to the dock, two lines at the back of the boat that go to the dock, and then there's I have some what are called spring lines, which are are lines that tie to the middle of the boat at the sort of the widest part of the boat and one goes forward to the dock and one goes to the rear part of the dock or the rear part of the boat, but attaches to the dock. Those are called spring lines. So I doubled all of those up. And so I had twice the number of ropes or lines holding the boat and you put what's called chafe protection on them. One of the things that happens with, with lines is the constant wave action, the big wave action you get in a storm is the boats bouncing up and down and these lines rub against each other or they rub against the dock and they wear through. 
And that's most of the times what happens with, with lines or ropes is, is, is they don't snap under tension, but because of this friction of rubbing, they wear through. So I have some old pieces of uh, a hose uh, that I use for chafe protection, and you kind of wrap those around the pieces of your line where they rub against each other or they're rubbing against the boat or the dock so that it's this piece of rubber hose that's rubbing and, and not, not my line, not my dock line. So that's, that's one thing I, I did. So I doubled up, doubled up all the lines. And uh, I also have uh, fenders. Fenders are the bumpers that you use when, <laughs> to keep your boat from banging against the dock. Uh, I have a couple of extras that I typically don't use. So I put all the fenders I own <laughs> were deployed around the boat. Uh, on the, the dock is only on one side of the boat. Um, the other side is some space and then another boat. And so I put fenders on, protect me from the other boat. And also I deployed all my fenders on, on the side where the dock is. Cause you're really at the mercy of other people, right? I mean, you can do yeah. everything you can to make your, sure your boat is secure, but you can't do anything if somebody else's boat breaks free and runs into yours. Right. Yeah. You know, that was interesting because there was, you know, again, the place was a beehive of activity. Some boats getting hauled, the boats not getting hauled, probably about a third of them to maybe half of them. People were there prepping them for the, for the storm. But there was a good pile of boats where you saw no one, nothing got done. It was just all the canvas, all the canvas was left up. Everything was, you know, now, you know, who knows, maybe those people are away. They don't have time to come here. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what the story is, but I was surprised that the number of boats basically had zero prep done to them. That's a big investment to leave unprotected. Yeah. And you're right. Cause what happens is typically whether, whether your boat is in an anchorage, you're anchored out or whether the boat's on a mooring ball or whether you're in a marina, a boat breaks loose. Right. And then once you have a loose boat <laughs> and you know, if you remember in a hurricane, the winds shift direction because a hurricane spins counterclockwise so as it passes over you, the winds typically go from one direction to the opposite direction at some point in time. And so if it's blowing things in wonder, if, if a boat breaks loose and it blows it one direction, you know, an hour later or two hours later, it might take it and blow it in the opposite direction. So it's sort of like a pinball going back and forth in the marina. And that's what really causes a lot of damage. Interesting. Now, I remember we were talking about shore power and things like that. Do you stay plugged in during a hurricane or do you unplug from shore power? What's your what's your thought on that? Yeah, good question. So uh, I stay plugged in and here's the why, here's the reason why. So the, the boat has bilge pumps in it, right? So the bilge is the lowest part of the boat. If any water comes into the boat, that's where the, the water drains to naturally just because of the shape of the boat and the hull. And there's a pump down there. There's actually two pumps down there uh, that have automatic switches on them that if the water gets in there, it pumps the water out. There's a small pump and a big pump. And they run off batteries. They run off the house batteries on the boat. And uh, so I want to leave the boat plugged in so that the battery charger keeps the batteries fully charged so that if water does get into the boat somehow, the bilge pumps will turn on and pump the water out. Now, of course, you have the challenge of in a storm, the electricity can go out in the area and then, you know, you're relying on your batteries, but I have enough battery capacity that the bilge pumps can run for a pretty long time before they'll 
they'll drain the batteries because that's fundamentally the only thing that's turned on when I leave the boat is the bilge pumps. Interesting. So, but yes, so the general the general consensus is stay plugged in. Interesting. Right? All right, so you did kind of everything you felt like you could do. You headed out. What what happened? What happened in, in from your local area? I know the storm was pretty bad in some places, but yeah. what did it look like um, from where your boat was lying? Yeah, well, so then the other decision we got to make, before I get dive into that, the other decision you got to make is do you stay on the boat or not? Right? Oh, come yeah. on, really? People stay yeah, on the yeah. boat in a hurricane? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of people who do. Wow. Yeah, so I did not. I, I figure, you know, if, if it's, if it's so bad that the, um, you know, the wind is howling at 40, 50, 60, 70 miles an hour, the docks are going to be bouncing up and down. If I was on the boat and I had to get off the boat, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't walk down the dock if it's bouncing up and down four or five feet, <laughs> you know, what's the rationale for staying on the boat? Is it like something happens, you can try to fix it or it's I mean- the same same rationale people don't evacuate in a hurricane on land wow right there's some there's some thinking that hey i can i can help protect my property right if something happens goes wrong i can i can fend off another boat i can i can do something but i I, for me it's like I, i was not on the boat right and and to each his own i respect people who stay and there was you know a handful of people who stay now there are some people who live on their boats at the marina right that and and i get that that might be a little different story right, right? they had no other place to go unless they were going right. to get a hotel <laughs> and some right. of them did so the, the, yeah. The, yeah there are a couple of folks that i know who live there during the summertime on their boats and they left their boat and either got a hotel room or they moved in and crashed on someone's couch right yeah. uh, but there were people who stayed on their boats um but my, my feeling is if, if it's that bad that my, my boat's breaking loose, what am I going to do, right? I, I, can't, yeah. I can't do anything. So anyway. Yeah, not, not worth dying for, right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, so the timing of the storm, right? So the timing of the storm uh, was supposed to hit uh, Saturday uh, uh, night, and it was interesting, uh, you know, they were hauling boats till about three or four o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And then they stopped because the wind started picking up more and more. And you can imagine you can't have a big boat hanging off of a crane if the winds are blowing too hard. So they stopped hauling boats around three. I had finished doing everything. I left around three o'clock. The wind was picking up. You know, the good news is all is good right? Uh, the boat survived. The marina survived. I don't think any boats broke loose. I didn't see any damage at the marina when I went back there a few days later. Uh, actually, Jason, my son, you know, who lives close by, not Jason, Andrew. Oh my gosh. Hope he's not listening. I, I confused my two kids. Uh, my son, Andrew, who lives close by, uh, stopped by Sunday night after the storm had sort of passed and called me up and said, hey, the boat's all fine and looks like everything survived okay. So that that all all turned out pretty good. Interesting. Well, that's a big relief. You know, it would have been, I know you have insurance and everything, but even so, you don't want anything bad to happen, especially after you spent so much time in the last year getting this boat out on the water. It must be uh a little bit nerve wracking, right? At home, uh, watching the weather reports, I would imagine. Yeah. Or do you just put it out of your mind? No, it was nerve wracking. Right? No. It was nerve wracking. 
And, and, you know, these hurricanes are always interesting, right? So now I'm really paying attention. <laughs> I used to sort yeah. of superficially pay attention. And, and, and Henri kind of danced around a little bit. Originally, uh, it, was, it was going to go to the east of, of uh, where the boat is. It was going to, going to go to the east of Narragansett Bay. So that, that's kind of good because if you, uh, the way hurricanes work is, um, you know, the, the winds rotate counterclockwise. And if you, if you draw a circle with the, and divide the circle into four quadrants, the sort of quadrant between noon and three o'clock, that upper right-hand quadrant, that's the quadrant of the high winds in a hurricane. That's where the, the most of the wind is. The strongest winds are there. And the quadrant kind of between 9 p.m. And, new, and midnight or 12 is sort of the heavy rain quadrant. Uh, so depending upon which way the hurricane shifts, left to right or east to west in this case, can make a, a pretty significant difference uh, in, in, in the wind, right? Because and, and the reason it's that, that uh, quadrant from, from noon to 3 is the high wind because you have the wind of the hurricane, plus you have the speed of the hurricane itself. So if the hurricane is moving at 25 miles an hour towards the north, and the winds are blowing counterclockwise, this quadrant between noon and three, let's say the winds and the hurricane itself are 100 miles an hour, but to that you have to add the speed of the hurricane itself. So you add another 25 miles an hour to the wind, so they're 125 miles an hour there. Right. Whereas on the other side, you subtract the 25 miles an hour. <laughs> right. Uh, so anyway, this hurricane kept dancing around. So first it looked like it was going to go more towards Cape Cod, which means, OK, less wind for us. And then each day as it got closer, it kept moving further and further west. And then it, it looked like it was quite a bit farther west of us, almost going to hit New York City. And said, oh, okay, now it's far enough away that we're in sort of the outer bands of the high wind. And, and then it starts shifting back. And the closer it got and, as, and the time came, it shifted closer and closer. And I think it went right over Narragansett Bay. <laughs> so we, we had a direct hit uh, of the hurricane, so to speak. Um, but the good thing is that it sort of got downgraded uh, pretty quickly as it got close. So a Category 1 hurricane, the winds are between 74 and 95 miles per hour. And a tropical storm is 39 to 73. So I think we got downgraded from a Category 1 to a tropical storm, but the winds were still in the 70s, right? So it's still blowing pretty good. And, uh, and the other thing you really worry about is not just the wind, but it's what's called the storm surge, right? So because of all this wind, it kind of blows the water in one direction. So the, again, this quadrant of the hurricane between noon, between 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock, because it's spinning counterclockwise, there's a lot of water that gets pushed up there. And it's, that's the storm surge. That's what causes the storm surge is this wind that's just pushing this water for hours and hours. And... The way the marina works, and this is one thing that happens at a lot of marinas, the docks at our marina are floating docks, which means they float, right? Tide goes up and down, docks float. But 
they float on these big telephone poles, as I describe them. So they're attached to these telephone poles that are driven into the ground. And the telephone poles are only so high. <laughs> and if the, if the storm surge gets higher than sort of, you know, the, uh, the telephone pole height, the docks just float loose. <laughs> so the timing of the hurricane is important, right? If the, if the storm surge hits at high tide, right? So for at, at a normal high tide, there's probably, I would say, 8 to 10 feet of free telephone pole, <laughs> you know? And so if you have a 10-foot storm surge hitting at high tide, and it was actually full moon, which is an extra high tide, the whole dock can float loose. And, and that's happened in the past in, you know, hurricanes in parts of the country where the whole marina just floats away. <laughs> and it doesn't float away gen- gen- gently because <laughs> it's blowing pretty good. Uh, but anyway, uh, it looked wow. like the storm surge was only going to be three to five feet. And so we weren't really worried about that. Yeah, I never I never thought about that because I know about the storm surge and that's what causes all the flooding. Right. And, yeah. and, and when there's big problems with that. But I never thought about it that that flooding would also be enough to cause the whole marina to break free from the moorings. Right. Wow. So that yeah. didn't happen. Luckily, that nope. Luckily, that that didn't that didn't happen. So so, so given all this, what do you think's the best approach? I mean, to stay in the marina like you did, or to go out uh, to a mooring ball somewhere, or to to, I mean, I know some people get on their boats and they try to go far enough away and just anchor, yep. you know, drop the anchor and ride it out. Having gone through what you just went through, what's your what's your pick for next time? Because we know there'll be a next time, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, Mike. And 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 I really don't know. You know, uh, the outside of the right where the marina is, we're in this cove or big or bay. There's a bunch of mooring balls there, and there were a bunch of boats on moorings, um, and the boat stayed there on the moorings. I mean, people were out there prepping their boats, right? They were, they were doing things. Now the, the, the disadvantage of being on a mooring from my perspective is you can't plug in the shore power. Right. So keeping your batteries charged up nice and full in case, you know, you get a leak on some, a significant leak of some sort is a challenge. Um, but you know, all the boats on the mooring balls were still there. Uh, the following day. So I, I really don't know. I, I, I feel pretty good with the boat at the marina. Uh, I got shore power. I'm plugged in. Uh, but, you know, there's other people who swear the best place to be is on a mooring ball. Now, there, there were a few boats in the marina that on Saturday morning left. I don't know where they went, right? But they clearly left the marina. And they were big boats, so they weren't being put on a trailer to be hauled out right i mean they were going someplace so they decided and and they were all motorboats they weren't sailboats so they they could go pretty fast so they were clearly going to go someplace and and you know hide <laughs> or try to get out of the path of the storm but you know of course the problem with these damn storms is they dance around a little bit i mean our predictions are good but they're not you know they're good four hours before it's going to hit but 24 hours before it hits, it, it could shift 50 miles one way or another. And certainly on a sailboat, I, I can't travel very far. So, yeah, I don't really know what the, what the best place to be is. I, I, I think I'm going to stay at a marina. I'm in a marina. And, you know, if I can get hauled out, that's great. And if I can't, I'll, I'll take my licks at the marina. It's a pretty new marina. The docks are nice and sturdy. Everything's well-maintained. The, the 
the telephone poles are nice and tall, <laughs> you know? So I think that's probably the safest place to be. And if, and if it's to, if the storm is so bad that, you know, the docks are going to break loose or the storm surge is so high that the arena is going to float away. I don't think regardless of where I was, there's going to be carnage. Yeah. Yeah. Screwed, screwed no matter what I think. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, what do you think? Should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That was sort of an interesting, uh, experience. My first real hurricane experience. And again, I didn't stay on the boat, uh, but just sort of getting it ready and, and uh, getting it all secure and then sort of walking away from it saying, okay, I've done everything I can. <laughs> now it's up to mother nature to see what happens. That was sort of an interesting new experience for me. Yeah, and then holding your breath and listening to the weather reports. and Right. right. Yep. Wild. Yep. Well, I guess we'll file this under all's well that ends well, I think is, the, is today's uh, summary. Uh, but listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode. We hope you found this conversation interesting and thought-provoking. Uh, as usual, if you have questions about what we've discussed, uh, feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you uh, enjoy the podcast, hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting application. And hey, if you'd like to support the podcast, at the bottom of the show notes, you will notice a link that says support this podcast. Click on the link and you can make a pledge of as little as 99 cents a month to help defer the cost of producing the show. Hey, we'll be spending the rest of the summer sailing around Narragansett Bay, Long Island Sound, Buzzards Bay, actually headed out to uh, the boat uh, later today uh, to hope to see you out on the water. Look for the sailing boat uh, paradox. So until next time, signing off. See you soon. Sounds great, Belas. Safe sailing. And uh, that's it from over here in Münster, Germany. We'll see you next time. Thank you.